Thank you, John, and uh, thank you, uh, Carlos and Barbara. Thank you, Casey, who uh, bravely had the sixth graders in her home uh, last week for uh, Spark, uh, among them my sixth grader. So Casey with a K met Casey with a C, and uh, we are grateful for all who were involved in that ministry. They say that when the first uh, locomotive set forth on its first journey and they started that great train, that there were skeptics in the crowd, and when the train was just starting, they said, it will never start, it will never start, it will never start, but, but when it roared to life and took off down the track, they were changing their tune and saying, it will never stop, it will never stop, it will never stop. Maybe you saw the recent emotion picture about the runaway train, the title of which is unforgettable. It is unstoppable. It is the title of the movie, Denzel Washington, uh, the actor in it. I'm a big fan of his, and I don't want to ruin the movie for you, but before the end, it turns out that the unstoppable train is actually stoppable, and uh, it it starts, but it eventually stops as well. Someone might have looked at that um, meager group of disciples that gathered in that upper room to pray And if somebody had said to them, that little group of people is going to start a movement that's going to go around the world so that 2,000 years from now, some people in a remote place at the ends of the earth from Israel, a place called Houston, Texas, people will gather on a Sunday night to open a book about, about those people and their story of starting the church. We would we would look back at that and we would say, well, of course that would happen. But I suspect there would have been skeptics in the crowd who might have said about the church of Jesus Christ, it won't start. It won't ever get started. But I love the way Paul describes the church as he writes to perhaps his favorite congregation in Philippi and says, he who began a good work in you will be faithful and he will complete the work that he has begun in you. When Jesus Christ started the church, He instructed His disciples to make disciples of all nations. We saw that at the end of Matthew. And now we come to the beginning of the book of Acts, and we see the work which Jesus started has continued even to this day. Would you open your Bibles with me to the book of Acts chapter 1? I'm going to read from the first chapter of Acts and the last chapter of Acts and try to tell you the story of the chapters in between. We'll call this message the unstoppable gospel. Would you stand with me as we read from Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 11, and then you'll turn with me, I hope, to uh, chapter 28, where we will read verses 23 through 31. Hear the word of the Lord tonight. Acts chapter 1. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day He was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles He had chosen. After His suffering, He presented Himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that He was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, 
Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it's not for you to know the time or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And after he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, And a cloud hid him from their sight. And they were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside him. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. And then the end of the story, not to ruin this story for you, but to tell you the end of the book of Acts, which it turns out is not really the end of the story, is it? But Acts chapter 28, verse 23, Paul has just arrived after many dangers, toils, and snares in the city of Rome, which is a long way geographically and culturally from Jerusalem. But in verse 23, it says, they replied, we've not received any letters from Judea concerning you and none of our people who have come from there has reported or said anything bad about you, Paul, but we want to hear what your views are. For we know that people everywhere are talking against this sect of Christianity. They arranged to meet Paul on a certain day and came in even larger numbers to the place where he was staying, he witnessed to them from morning till evening, explaining about the kingdom of God and from the law of Moses and from the prophets. He tried to persuade them about Jesus. Some were convinced by what he said, but others would not believe. They disagreed among themselves and began to leave after Paul had made this final statement. The Holy Spirit spoke the truth to your ancestors when he said through Isaiah the prophet, go to this people and say, you will be ever hearing but never understanding. You will be ever seeing but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their eyes, their ears, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn And I would heal them. Therefore, I I want you to know that God's salvation has been sent to the Gentiles and they will listen. For two whole years, Paul stayed there in this, his own rented house and welcomed all who came to see him. He proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Pray with me. Father, indeed, here we are to worship, not just here in this room, but here we are in this world to worship and to witness and to tell what we have seen and heard about the Lord Jesus Christ and God. It's good for us to go back into the chronicles of the history of the church, 
back into the annals of time and to hear about those witnesses who, emboldened by your Holy Spirit, told what they had seen and heard. And God, some believed and some didn't, but clearly their message worked or else we wouldn't be here tonight. And I wonder, Lord, what our legacy will be, what the people 2,000 years from now would say if Christ didn't return for 2,000 more years, what they would say about the faithfulness of the people who gather in this place tonight. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. This book, often abbreviated the book of Acts, short for the Acts of the Apostles, but we might call it the Acts of the Holy Spirit through the Apostles because it is clearly, without question, the Spirit of God that comes upon them. There's no other way to explain how Peter who denies Jesus three times before the rooster crows, can stand up in front of a multitude of people and without equivocation or hesitation say, I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, that you crucified Him, but God raised Him from the dead. And if you believe in Him, if you repent and believe and are baptized, you will become followers of Jesus Christ, and thus the journey begins. It really starts with Jesus and this small group of disciples and, and Jesus teaching them and eating with them, giving them many convincing proofs that He really is alive. And at one point they look at Him and they're worried about politics, perhaps as we are today. They want to know, when is the kingdom of Israel going to be reestablished? When will we rule the world? They want to know. And Jesus is not for you to know. <laughs> Don't worry about things that are bigger than you. But you need to know this, that if you will wait in Jerusalem, you will receive power. We're not going to wait for the politics to settle themselves out. We're not going to wait for any political entity to solve the problems in our world. But you wait, and power is going to come on you. And when that power comes on you, you will be my witnesses. You'll start right here in Jerusalem. Then you'll go to Judea. Then you'll go to Samaria. <gasps> Samaria. And then to the uttermost parts of the earth. And the book of Acts tells that story. It tells about how these people who, who didn't have a prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane wouldn't do anything without praying. I read the book of Acts this week with that in mind because I hope after we look at Romans chapter 8 that we'll be able to return to the subject of prayer in the church in the book of Acts for our next sermon series leading us into the summer. And as I read this story, I was amazed that, that Peter, uh, who, who ne never could um, really get it right, suddenly begins to get it right and calls the people to pray and they find another leader. And they're gathered there in chapter 2 and they're praying in that upper room when the Spirit of God comes and Jesus' promise is fulfilled. And it's Peter who stands up and speaks. And people from all over, notice God's timing. It's at a, a time of festival when all kinds of people are gathered in the city and they all hear the gospel they all hear the message so that when they go home, they'll go home changed by the power 
of the gospel. And what happens is God chooses people. E.V. Hill used to say God doesn't use any ordinary people. And if we could tonight listen to Luke's story and look into the faces of those first followers of Jesus Christ, we would see that God chose these ordinary people, people who were not exceptional in any way, but who were simply so filled with God, so God intoxicated that everywhere they went, wherever God put them, they told this story about Jesus. And some people believed and some people didn't believe, but those who believed told others and those who believed told others and told others and told others until it made its way all the way to you and me. In fact, the acts of the Holy Spirit haven't really stopped because that same Holy Spirit lives in us. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit, and God meets with us as we gather, and He still feel, fills His people and empowers us to speak. But could we just look at three people tonight? Could we look first at Peter, this un unlikely spokesman for the early church. He really dominates the first 12 chapters. It starts there in chapter 2 when the Spirit comes upon him and he speaks, and 3,000 people become followers of Jesus Christ that day. If you do the math from 120 to 3,120, they grew by, by, um, by a multiple of 126. They were 126 times bigger after the day of Pentecost than they were before the day of Pentecost. Imagine the logistical issues that would have created 3,000 brand new believers. But God, it's the first of those sort of summary statements that shows us the gospel is unstoppable. It's, it's what we've built our church's system around in these years that I've been pleased to, to serve you. This idea, Acts 2, 42 to 47, that a church can be wise, that we can worship, that we can be involved in instruction and service and evangelism. And it sort of concludes with, and God gave them favor with all the people and daily people were being added to their fellowship. The gospel was unstoppable in Jerusalem no obstacle could stop it. So when the religious leaders who had crucified Jesus got angry at Peter and John for healing the lame man and they imprisoned them and they told them not to speak anymore about Jesus, they say, yeah, well, there's no other name given among men whereby we must be saved except the name of Jesus. So you decide what you're going to do, but we're going to talk about Jesus. And they say, okay, but stop talking about Jesus. And they say, okay, but we're not going to stop talking about Jesus. And finally, they send them out because they're afraid of a riot. And these men will be imprisoned and they will be released miraculously when the people of God pray for them. But everywhere Peter goes, he speaks the good news of Jesus Christ. So in chapter 4, again, the church is growing and nobody considers anything that he owns his own. And it's growing. And in Acts chapter 5, again, we hear one of these summary statements and the word of God continues to grow. And then they have the problem with the widows and they create the office of deacons. And then the gospel spreads again in chapter 6. And one of those deacons is is a man named Stephen who is powerful in word and deed. He is full of God's spirit. He is full of wisdom and when he contends for the faith, the religious leaders can't stop him. His message is unstoppable. So he speaks, and when they cannot silence him in any other way, they throw rocks at him until he dies, while a young man named Saul holds their coats and gives approval to the killing of Stephen. 
Even Peter finds himself. Most of the apostles stay in Jerusalem, but we, we later find Peter outside the city. And, and Peter is a purist. He's never going to eat anything unclean. And God has to give him a vision and a conversation with a man named Cornelius to show him that God does not consider any group of people unclean. So even the barrier of prejudice from Jew against Gentile cannot stop the unstoppable gospel. And Philip, the second of those deacons, is sent out and he, he goes to Samaria, the place where Jesus broke the ice when he spoke with a woman at the well. Invisible to his disciples, Jesus saw her and spoke to her and she became the first evangelist in Samaria. Remember, she went back and told everybody in the city, come see a man who told me everything I ever did and they come and after Jesus stays with them, they believe. Now there's another Samaritan village that won't accept Jesus and remember the sons of thunder, James and John, want to call down fire on the city but Jesus won't let them and it's just a a preface to what will happen when Philip goes to Samaria. Philip's not one of the apostles. They describe these early followers of Jesus as, as unschooled and ordinary men. They're not particularly learned. They haven't studied at the feet of the, of the uh, great rabbis, this little group of disciples. Certainly Philip hasn't, but Philip's an evangelist. Wherever God put him, in Samaria, he tells the people about Jesus, and they believe in Jesus. And the people in Jerusalem are not sure they believe that the Samaritans really believe in Jesus, so they send Peter and John. But sure enough, it's true. What God has done actually is allowed to happen. And so they give it approval, and then Philip finds himself on the road uh, to Gaza and encounters an Ethiopian there and he tells him the good news and then finds himself in Caesarea. We won't see him again until the latter chapters of the book when, when, when we find him in Caesarea with four daughters who are also evangelists who share the good news of Jesus Christ with other people. But it's in uh, that next chapter, in chapter 9, that we see Saul again he wants to kill all the Christians, so he's going. It's not enough to kill the ones who are in Jerusalem, so he wants to go to the other cities and find, and find these uh, ones who are following Christ. He's on his way to Damascus, and uh, he's going to kill the Christians. But, but in a way, we might say God killed Saul that day. God got his undivided attention with a bright and shining light, spoke to him in Aramaic, and said, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. He goes into the city Ananias has the uneasy assignment of going and placing hands on Saul, who wanted to place hands on him and kill him when he went to Damascus. But now he's supposed to go and bless Saul and restore Saul's sight, and he does. And Saul is baptized, and he begins to witness fervently with the unstoppable gospel, but it gets him in trouble. He's so passionate about it that they run him out of Damascus. He has to go home to Tarsus and there's a period of learning there for him. Then Paul, then Peter encounters Cornelius as we talked about in, in chapter 10 and chapter 11 and chapter 12. Peter is imprisoned and they are having a prayer meeting for Peter and an angel lets him out. He shows up at the place where they're praying for him, knocks on the door. The lady who meets him at the door, the, the servant girl, is so shocked to see him that she leaves him at the door, runs inside and says, Peter is here. And they're all praying for Peter to be released. But they who are praying for Peter to be released don't really believe it's Peter. It's an interesting story. And then uh, we find in chapter 11, the most amazing thing happened. Some of those who went out, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, we don't even know their names. 
But they started telling Gentiles about Jesus and the Gentiles believed. Well, we've crossed another barrier, haven't we? This unstoppable gospel not only goes to Samaria, but Jesus said it's going to go to the uttermost parts of the earth. So when they get to Antioch and the disciples are first called Christians at Antioch and that church, that mature church has a heart to plant other churches. So they send their very best Barnabas and Saul, they send them out in chapter 13. After they pray and they fast, they send out their very best. And Saul, accompanied by Barnabas, who had put an arm around him when he first came back to Jerusalem after he became a convert, um, Saul and Barnabas, a Barnabas who found Saul at Tarsus when he was preaching at Antioch and said, I need help, send for Saul. And so Saul came. These two men go out and they share the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's interesting, they start with the Jews. But what we notice is a pattern that when they get to the synagogue, sometimes some in the synagogues don't like them and, and send them out. At, at Cyprus, they, they minister to Sergius Paulus. He believes, but there's one there who doesn't believe, and they, they strike him blind, and then they, they go on, and they find themselves in Pisidian, find themselves in Pisidian Antioch, and they, they move out in greater and greater concentric circles on what we would call the first missionary journey, and after they lead people to Christ, then they come back. Paul is nearly stoned to death at one place, but he who stood and watched them stone Stephen almost suffers the same fate. But when they gather around him, he stands up and he goes back into the city and they preach until they return. And they find themselves back in Antioch and they're so excited because the Gentiles have become Christians. But, but some of the believers from Jerusalem come over just to see because they're not sure about these Gentiles becoming Christians. They say, well, they can be Christians, but they've got to become Jews first. And Paul says, that doesn't even make sense. Saul now goes by Paul. Somewhere along the journey, he goes by his Roman name instead of his Jewish name. Maybe it's because he's now ministering to these Roman citizens, to these Gentiles, and it's more appropriate to go by. He's both. Now he's Jew and he's Roman citizen. And, and Paul says, I don't think that's right. And so they go up to Jerusalem and they have a council to decide if it's okay for God to do what he's already been doing. W will we really allow Gentiles to become Christians without becoming Jews first? And the consensus after James, the brother of Jesus, stands up. Remember, James the apostle has already been killed. But James, the brother of Jesus, stands up and says, you know what? God gave them the Holy Spirit. I guess that's the only sign we need. Now, there are some things they shouldn't do, like immorality, like um, idolatry, these things they shouldn't be involved in. So, so, so Paul and, and Barnabas go back, but they're accompanied by two others, Judas and Silas, who are prophets in the church at Jerusalem. That becomes important later because after they, they minister there in the church for many days, it says, then they say, why don't we go back and do two things? Let's strengthen and encourage those churches that we started. But Barnabas wants to take John, his cousin, along with him, but John had abandoned them on the first journey, and Paul says, you know, I don't really trust John, and this is kind of life and death kind of stuff, so I don't think so. And Barnabas says, oh, but I think so, because Barnabas can't not believe in people. You know people like that? Thank God for the encouragers of the world. But Saul, Paul, not convinced by that, takes Silas, who had come from Jerusalem, and they go, and while, while um, Barnabas and his cousin John Mark uh, go all the way to Cyprus, um, Paul and Silas go back to those early churches and then they begin to minister in other places. They're not sure exactly where to go. At one point they think, well, we'll, we'll go down into Mycenae, but, but the Spirit tells them no. And so they say, we'll go to Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus said no. And then they wait, because sometimes you have to wait for God to speak. And when God spoke, well then, um, Saul, the third of these three we look at tonight, Peter and 
Philip and, and Saul or Paul. He waits there until he sees the vision of a man over in Macedonia saying, come and help us. And they got up immediately and got on the boat. And they went and they landed at Neapolis and then they went down to Philippi, which was the leading Roman city of the area. Apparently wasn't a synagogue there. What's interesting is wherever Paul went, most places there were synagogues. You know there were four to five million Jews dispersed around the world. There were always synagogues. In Rome itself there were probably 11 synagogues at this point in time. Probably 40 to 50,000 Jews in the city of Rome. But when he gets to Philippi he can't find a synagogue. So he goes down to the river where they expect to find people who pray. And there he meets Lydia who opens her heart to the gospel and her home to the, these apostles and invites them into her home and prevails upon them. If you really think I'm a Christian, she says, then you better stay with me. And so they do. And she's a seller of purple fabric from Thyatira, a very impressive leader in that city. She's the first member of the church at Philippi, we might say. The second is a slave girl who walks around um, shouting after Paul and Silas in their ministry. And so, and so finally, Paul casts the demon out of this slave girl, and then she, she can't predict the future anymore, so her owners don't get the, the financial benefit of her um, demonic power. And so they get angry, and they have Paul and Silas thrown in jail where they have a worship service at midnight, and it's, day, it's daybreak at midnight, and then they're, they're set free. And not only are they set free, but the jailer is set free. I guess he's the third member of the church in Philippi helps you remember when Paul writes to the church of the Philippians later and says your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now being convinced of this that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it from there Paul went down to Thessalonica and he had some success for a couple of weeks and then they ran him out of town on a rail he went down to Berea and the believers there were more noble and they searched the scriptures but then wouldn't you know it the Thessalonians followed him and they caused him problems and so he's, he's got to get out of Berea and he he ends up after that um, he ends up after that going down to the city of Athens and debating with the who's who, the philosophers, the religious intelligentsia. He finds a very religious city there. He quotes their own religious idols. He's troubled by all the idols. He quotes their own poets. And I read this week that Christianity is sort of the unreligion. Dane Ortland says, the ancient Greeks told us to be moderate by knowing our inclinations. The Romans told us to be strong by ordering our lives. Buddhism tells us to be disillusioned by annihilating our consciousness. Hinduism tells us to be absorbed by merging our souls. Islam tells us to be submissive by subjecting our wills. Moralism tells us to be good by discharging our obligations. But only the gospel, the unstoppable gospel, tells us to be free by acknowledging our failures. And when Paul mentions the resurrection, we sang tonight, he lives. That's when he lost them. Oh, some of them believed. Dionysius and Damaris believed, but most of them didn't believe. And Paul leaves there. And when he gets to Corinth, he thinks, I'm not going to talk about philosophy this time. I'm just going to talk about Jesus. And when he does, God blesses his ministry in Corinth. He starts out working as a tent maker with Priscilla and Aquila. And then, then he uh, leaves there and, and uh, they go to Ephesus. And there they meet uh, Apollos. And Apollos is very powerful, but he doesn't really know the full story of Jesus. And Priscilla and Aquila are kind enough to tell him the full story. So he goes back to Corinth and he debates with the wise people there. And we read something about that in the, 
in the first letter to the Corinthians. And then Paul goes to Ephesus and has a fruitful ministry. How fruitful? Well, here it is. It's the, it's the home base of worship of Diana, the goddess of the Ephesians, Artemis, some called her in the ancient world, the goddess of love. And we visited the, the ruins of that city. By the way, it's probably the best excavation of ancient Roman city in the world. When we went there some years ago, they had little statues of Diana, which were sort of uh, not something you would put on a shelf if you're a Christian, because they're kind of vulgar. But anyway, there they were, and reminders of the ancient worship of Diana in that city. But it turns out, after Paul was there for a while, they weren't selling any idols. People stopped buying them. And it made the silver workers who made the idols so angry that they brought, they wanted to bring Paul before the court, but they couldn't find him. So they brought the guy, Jason, poor Jason, whom he was staying with. And Jason uh, is there. And then they beat up Sosipater, who's uh, the head of the, of the uh, synagogue there. And, and, and finally, Paul is, is on his way again. He leaves for a season to strengthen and encourage, those are the words, the churches. And then he comes back through that area. He doesn't go back into Ephesus. That's a little bit dangerous, but he calls the Ephesian elders down to him at Miletus. He's on his way now. He's going to go to Jerusalem. And everywhere he stops, the Holy Spirit tells him, they're going to beat you up and imprison you in Jerusalem. But he's convinced he has to go. So he makes the journey back. He gets into Jerusalem. He does all the right things. If anybody tells you if you do all the right things, you won't have any problems, they don't know the story of Paul. Because he does all the right things and they arrest him anyway. And they plot to kill him. He's sent down to Caesarea. He preaches there to Felix. Felix says, I'll call you back at a more convenient time. Because for some people it's not convenient to believe in the Lord Jesus. Felix is replaced by Festus and Festus takes him to Agrippa. And Agrippa says, I don't think he's done anything wrong. But before they know it, Paul says, well, I'm a Roman citizen and you can't treat me this way. I appeal to Caesar because they're going to send him back to Jerusalem and there are 40 men there who said we're not going to eat or drink till we kill Paul and he didn't want to go back into that and so he ends up going to Rome but not 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 before the shipwrecks not before he's bitten by a snake on the island of Malta but eventually he makes it down the Appian Way past three taverns he gets into Rome and they put him in a house and he's afraid the Jews there 40 or 50,000 of them have heard bad things about him, that they're going to testify against him. But they say, we, that's what I read you. They say, we, we haven't heard anything bad about you. But we'd like to hear about this sect that Paul called, when he spoke to Felix and Agrippa, he called it the way. Not a way, but the way. And the unstoppable gospel he preaches, even though he's imprisoned, the last, the last word in the book of Acts is, even though Paul is in prison, the gospel is unhindered. Or we might say, the gospel is unstoppable. I asked my niece, who was the head of her class in high school. She's the smartest, I suppose, I guess. I don't know. Um, she's a very bright young lady. And I asked her recently. She lives out in Lubbock. She's finishing her doctorate out there at Tech. And and I said to her, I, I said, now, Amanda, what church do you go to, to out there? She said, we go to an, an Acts 29 church. Have you counted the chapters in the book of Acts? I just said, I started with one and ended with 28. I said, what's an Acts 29 church? When she explained it to me, I thought, well, I go to an Acts 29 church too. Because what 
What Luke said to Theophilus in his first book is this is what Jesus began to do and to teach. And then in his second book, the book of Acts, he says this is what Jesus continued to do and to teach through his disciples. But if you notice, he doesn't really finish the story. It's as if, it's as if for Luke, as he writes to Theophilus, this one who loves God, that the story continues. And so it has. And so the gospel crosses with the Puritans, I suppose, over to America from Europe. Paul had gotten it all the way to Europe, but some centuries later it made it all the way to our continent. And then it made its way through the Great Awakenings across the South. And then there was a guy named Z.N. Morrell in 1835. And he wanted to preach the gospel in Texas, except, except the agreement with Mexico when settlers came into this area was, you will not preach the gospel here. You're going to worship according to the Catholic faith if you're here, because that's our faith. And those original settlers, those colonists, at least um, by words, agreed to that. But not Z.N. Morrell, this man that they nicknamed Wildcat. When he got to Texas, he said, I am going to preach the gospel. But before he and his family could get here, well, Texas became a republic, and so it was legal now to preach the gospel. It was legal, but it wasn't always well received. He started at a place called the Falls of the Brazos. I used to meet my friend Wayne Gray there when we were teenage pastors, and we would pray beside the river on a Sunday morning before he drove to Cedar Springs and I drove to Pleasant Grove. That's where Zian Morrell started preaching, but the Indian attacks were so great he had to move down to Washington on the Brazos, not far from Brenham over here. And, and, then, and, then, and then he began a circuit-riding ministry that stretched from Cameron, close to Melanie's hometown. By the way, we used to picnic at Falls on the Brazos, but there at Cameron, and then he would go all the way up to Corsicana, a 300-mile round trip, and he would preach the gospel. Sometimes when he was preaching, Indians killed the people who didn't go to church, which would be a real incentive to be in church, I think. But Zian Morrell, with his unstoppable gospel, preached. He was the first Baptist preacher in this state, and if you'll receive it, we're in Acts 29 church. We have an unstoppable gospel. Some said 2,000 years ago, it will never start. They called it a sect. The sect of the Nazarene, they called it. But today we call it the church. And this message that we have received from generation to generation, the baton has been passed to us. And this gospel that we speak cannot be stopped. It will change lives if people will believe in it. And to this day, as Paul said to those people in Rome, the prophet Isaiah said, some of you will believe and some of you won't. Some of you have eyes to see, but you won't see, and ears to hear, but you won't hear. But if you would see with your eyes, if you would hear with your ears, if you would believe in your hearts, God says, I would heal you. This gospel, unstoppable. Pray with me. Father, thank you for your amazing love and grace and mercy. Thank you that the gospel reached me when I was a small boy. Thank you that it reached a little boy in our 1115 worship service this morning. And God, my prayer is that your gospel would go out, that we would be an Acts 29 church, that everywhere we go this week, we would speak your word. And we pray that some would not only hear, but would actually listen and believe and receive the good news of Jesus Christ. 
It's in his name we pray. Amen.